Welcome to another edition of Unwritten Rules, an Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer, Assistant General Manager, and joining me is our Vice President, Head Groundskeeper, Sports Turf Manager, Chris Schlosser. Which which title do you prefer most out of all of that? Well, the crazy thing is now it's changing because they want to take turf out of it, which a few years ago we wanted they wanted sports turf in it, and now they want to take turf out of it because... 90% of the game is played on dirt. So it's going to go at some point to director of field operations. And a lot of the guys have transferred back over to that. So I, head groundskeeper's always been fine to me since I've been in it forever. I've, I, that's what I go off of. Our sports dirt manager, Chris Schlosser, is our uh, guest today. And uh, as we sit here today, uh, we're looking out over the field, starting to melt a little bit in preparation for a season. And while we like the podcast to be kind of an everlasting thing where you can listen in October or April or whenever, um, it is important. I think the story of your job, particularly in this part of the country, is coming out of the winter time and getting ready for a season. And all the very vari- we talk about variables with COVID and everything else. We've got variables uh, just in, in weather, and we were just talking. This is probably as tough a winter and as late a winter uh, as we've had in a long time, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I think we'll go on record the second highest snowfall in the Des Moines area. Um, then we had the two weeks of Arctic conditions, where you know you didn't know if you were in. I mean, I was looking daily, and Anchorage, Alaska, was warmer than us, and you just kind of <laughs> laugh and smile about it. But then you then you look at the calendar, and you're like, oh, it's not so funny now. And you know what our snow depth was, and then you know we went out and took a look at snow depth, and you know you always start to push the panic button because you need to get that snow off so we can get the frost and the freeze and the refreeze up and down quite a bit so we can start to dry things out and with being sand base it'll dry out faster and um, warm up faster but also you know the amount of coverage and days of coverage late you know hasn't been good because last year at this time we were actually working on the infield dirt and mounds and plates and before all the COVID issues happened right at the big 12 and big 10 basketball tournaments we were i'd say 90 percent done with our infield clay and mounds and plates, which would be technically next weekend. And so now we'll lose, uh, well, it just depends. I think we'll lose half of a week next week too for the refreeze and all the water to get pushed up and out. And then we can really start to go. And that's where, you know, we'll maybe have to push the envelope a little bit to get the dirts done and the grass usually takes care of itself. But, you know, it's been a long winter. Well, We've lost a little bit with the Cub Club being closed, but without fail, every time I had someone in the Cub Club, no matter what time of year, they look out the windows and say, oh my goodness, how does the field look that good? And I know you see it a little bit differently. It's kind of looking at yourself in the mirror as opposed to a model in a magazine. Everybody else looks at the field like a model in a magazine. You're looking at all the blemishes uh, and things, and that's why you're good at your job. But what is the the greatest challenge is it temperature is it moisture what are what are the things that you pay attention to most that the rest of us overlook when we just say oh the grass is too long i got to go mow what what are the other things you're paying most attention to it, it it's a combination because from april playing games in april usually in april and may depending on if we had a normal year it's it's totally different but a lot of times you have to look at the moisture and the rain level or what's coming in but you have to look at the temperatures in that April and early May before we start to straighten out and, you know, summer's coming. 
and then you have to watch it because it doesn't need as much water then, you know, or to keep it going. But a lot of times is you have those weather patterns in April and May that just sit on you. And that's frustrating because you're not getting your job done and the tarps on the field to protect for games and everything. Then you transition to the summer months and having the two rivers surrounding the ballpark and the heat of the city, it's the humidity and dew. And as you know, the dirt and the grass gets wetter as the game goes on because we do not evaporate as fast. So then you also have to control where you may have some players, you know, complaining a little bit that we didn't put as much water down at game time. And we know because we're going to spike up and the dew and the humidity is going to be through the roof that it's the moisture is going to come right back up. All the water we do during the day is totally different. That's to keep it in there. So when it comes up, we'll have the moisture come up. And there's a lot of times you'll be juggling as, ooh, and there's some times where I've overwatered the skin just to make them happy and it is wet at the end of the game, which is fine. It's not a bad wetness we're talking about. It's just a little more tackiness, but being surrounded and not evaporating, you know, that's a huge issue. Airflow in the stadium is a huge issue because then we have disease pressure. And then you have to combat that with spraying fungicides and everything and trying to get air to move through. You know, a lot of people think, oh, we got a nice breeze today, but a lot of times it doesn't hit. You know, when we get in the summer months and you take some soil or, you know, soil temperatures or, you know, surface temperatures, the dirt could be 130 degrees out there. The warning track is, you know, 140 and the grass in the areas that do doesn't get the air, you know, it's hot down there. It's a lot hotter in that seating bowl as well, you know, as when the higher you get up, the more air you get. But it's, there's all kinds of different variables that go into it because the dirt plays a really different entity into it because from April to May to June to July and August, July, June, July, and August are usually the same and September it changes back. And so you adjust your water patterns and how much water you put on the infield skin because it holds, you know, a lot more water. And, you know, those are kind of the challenges, but you know, it's then you're dealing with games and traffic and bullpen guys and standing on this line, the same line all the time and dealing with that and, you know, just little things. <laughs> that you go to any little league field and you know exactly where every outfielder stands. <laughs> we get a little bit of that during the high school tournament as well. The younger kids listen a little bit better when you, you put the cones out and we're moving guys all around to play catch every day and, and they'll listen a little bit better. Uh, there is one thing about everybody involved in this industry is being creatures of habit, whether you're in a uniform or in the front office or whatever. We've all, we all are slaves to our routines and, and your routine and their routine don't always meet eye to eye, but uh, that's part of, the, part of the job, I guess, right? It is, and you know, it's, every stadium is different. And you would see, you know, and the biggest complaint every groundskeeper has is the bullpen guys <laughs> because they stand along the line. If you noticed up at Wrigley when they put them underneath the bleachers, their wear lines kind of stopped and went out to the outfield. And so you can take a look of where their bullpens are situated anywhere, and that's where their wear lines are. You know, so you get the double-decker in uh, Cleveland, so they're warming up right there. So they can just walk in and do their sides and everything. Here, our benches are right there. We're on the field, so we line up. We've had some really good teams. I'll tell you what, the... Redbirds Cardinals organization does a great job. If they're in four games, they'll start uh, far down, move to the middle, move to the end, and then move back. And they have been taught, and you can tell the ones that have been taught. But then we get the some guys, you know, we, we have them here quite a bit. 
is they have to have a spot. And there's one guy that always has to have that corner right going into the thing, and there's always a wear area or digging of a hole that for whatever reason I have never gotten to me on flat work, why you need to dig in like you're on a mound on the grass. And it drives, <laughs> drives us nuts. And that's why you'll see us out there filling divots and, and you know, reseeding that quite a bit. Chris Slosser, our head groundskeeper, is our guest on Unwritten Rules, the Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer. Please uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, check out iowacubs.com for all the details uh, for uh, the season coming up and, and throughout the year, and follow us on social media as well. Hope you're enjoying the, the new podcast. So, uh, Chris, uh, now that we've gotten through some of the technical aspects, uh, how did a history major in college come to be such a a good groundskeeper in, in professional baseball. How, how'd you make that transition? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it didn't start out this way, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be quite honest. Um, after college, I got a job being a pitching coach at Division Three College in Edgewood, Edgewood College in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, that didn't pay anything, so I needed to find a job, so I worked for Barefoot Lawn care service and they took care of some fields and homeowners and everything else so I got all my ag side done with that and then we were always working on the field and as a kid I worked on the field same when we played in college we took care of it and then I, one of my college roommates he was our first baseman Mark Copley was working in the front office down in Charleston South Carolina and had a position open up at the new stadium there at Riley Ballpark there in Charleston and they needed a groundskeeper and at the time, you know, it was 97, and there wasn't, you know, sports turf, and the profession has come a long way since then, and how the education and everything has, has evolved, and they needed it, so I jumped in and said, heck yeah. So I moved down there, didn't really know much, and by the time I got down there is uh, the Citadel Bulldogs, Division One played their home games there, and it was go time, you know, so I got thrown into the fire pretty good, and just loved it from there, and luckily and fortunate enough, uh, you know, 98, 99, I won Field of the Year and Groundskeeper of the Year down there in the Sally League, and, you know, it was time to, you know, kind of move on and to look at other aspects, and the craziest thing is, you know, I'd applied here in Des Moines, and uh, Sam had settled on somebody else, and then so I took the AA, which was down at Pringles Ballpark at the time in Jackson for the Cubs, and... I literally had my vehicle packed to move to Jackson, and I was cleaning out my apartment the rest of the way, and Sam Burnaby calls my house phone down there and leaves a message, and hey, would you want to come up and interview? And sure. So literally changed it, had to call Jackson, said, hey, everything's on hold, I'm going to go up and interview, and came up here, interviewed in, well, would have been February of 2000, and accepted the position from there. And over 20 years later, you're still here. I'm still here. <laughs> they can't get rid of me. Right now. Well, uh, but that's, uh, you know, we just talked to Sam on, on a recent episode of this, and, and weather was uh, one of the things that uh, we talked about and his ability to read the, the radar and how good he's gotten at it over 38 years, especially within this square block uh, <laughs> along there. Uh, talk about your relationship with him. Obviously, you guys have been through a lot together, uh, but uh, uh, your thoughts on how he helps you, and obviously it's been a great symbiotic relationship or else it wouldn't have lasted this long. Right. It, it's been a great relationship. You know, I, I'm lucky enough that he gives me, you know, freedom 
to do what I do, but I think he, in return, he knows what he gets, and he gets us and me to have a full commitment to this field, and that's you know that's what that's what it takes, and you know. There, the weather drives us both crazy because, like you said, it, it literally could be raining on 63rd Street and you think it's coming and we don't get anything and then you have to deal with tarp or what we're doing and all kinds of nightmarish and we've worked that out. But, it, you know, it's he knows what he gets from me and I know what I get from him. And ultimately the bottom line is this thing needs to look perfect every day. And whether that happens or not, usually it doesn't, but we know we're giving everything and all the effort to it. Talk about your crew and the people that help you and how much you rely on them and what that dynamic is like to know that you're the guy that gets the award. You mentioned in the Sally League, you got it here uh, a couple of times. Uh, so you get your name on that award, but you also get your name <laughs> on the day when things don't go so well. But it's not just a one-person operation. It isn't. And you you have to have the, the kids buy into it. And a lot of them have been here for a while. And, you know, even some of the ones that have moved on, you know, they're really good. You know, our internships, you know, with, you know, where they've come from either Kirkwood or Iowa State, they've been good kids, have been hard workers. And it's knowing that how, what the importance is and in training them and then to believe what, what the whole purpose is that we try to do here. And, you know, it's safety first, you know, aesthetics is one thing for the fans, but making sure that is the best playing surface out there. And I, I've been very fortunate enough that, all the kids I've ever had have bought into a system that we do our job right. And, and there's a lot of times is, you know, then I'll start to pull their strengths, whether it's mountain plate repair, whether it's the infield, whether it's, you know, the young kids always. If you're going to start and you're, you're new, you are going to be scooping up the chalk line and you're going to be cleaning the dugouts and we're going to see what you're made out of. I mean, Chase Manning, my assistant, that's where he started. He came in for a job shadow. I said, hey, you know what? We got an opening at uh, game time position. If you want to see what it's all about, come on in. So he cleaned dugouts and scooped lines for two years. He was in high school in his freshman year, and then you could see that you know it was starting to click. And then he went to Iowa State and got his turf degree and everything else. And you know, I've been fortunate to have those guys. You know, because you know they know I see everything. And they know I'll be nice about some things, and then there's other things I'm not going to be so nice about when it comes to this and how we do things. And, you know, they, they respect the field just as much. So, Chase had one of the best lines of all time in a staff meeting. Uh, the, the bullpen mound tarps are not on fire. <laughs> and I raise my hand as being guilty. I figure you don't want a fat guy like me walking over the mound I don't know how wet it is underneath or not. I think I'm messing up the mound when actually I'm wearing a path in the grass going around the mound uh, trying to get that too. So I will never forget. We should make it part of our <laughs> intern training. The mound is not – the tarp is not on fire. It, it is the toughest thing. We see it if we had, you know, when the high school teams were able to use the clubhouses and come out. They don't think they can walk over the mound. Yes, walk over the mound. We would rather have that because if not, you're having everybody just loop around and then we get a little wear indention that happens and a little low. And you could tell when, when it gets really warm because the paint line goes right across it and it'll be a little dip. And then, you know, we'll have to do our reminders of just stay on because, you know, foot traffic on, on the grass is the worst thing. You know, it's, it, people don't understand pounds per square inch of a foot pressure standing in one area 
for X amount of time or making a cattle path as we call it, <laughs> it will wear areas and make, make it sink in and, and dent in. I've learned. I now walk along the wall and uh, I've ne- never been burned uh, yet. So I learned my lesson. We're visiting with uh, Chris Schlosser, uh, one of the things that uh, our head groundskeeper, uh, one of the things that Michael Gartner has always said, and you mentioned uh, Iowa State and being in this part of the country, uh, you certainly have some really good local programs to draw from, from interns and assistants and, and things like that. Uh, but uh, Michael says, find a kid that grew up on a farm that's willing to work hard and you can find a good assistant uh, on, on the grounds crew, uh, knowing your work ethic. Uh, how would you put the percentage of science, then you touched on some of the things at the very beginning, and just the willingness to be out there, cold, hot, windy, snowing, raining, and all those things, and just the willingness to, to work hard. How would you uh, put the percentage of what being a good groundskeeper is of science to hard work? I'd put hard work. I mean, I think what steers, and you have some interns or some kids that are, ooh, really want to get into baseball, they don't understand the hours. And sometimes it is dead hours, you know, for a grounds crew. You know, all of a sudden we got early work. You're sitting around waiting to move screens or have to redrag, then resetting something else up, or sitting waiting for batting practice to get over to come do, or the tarp being on the field. Nothing drives everybody more worse than standing around or sitting around the shop and waiting to work. But it's uh, hard work is, I, you know, science is a big thing, you know, but I'm only going to put about a 25, 30% on that because as long as you have good chemical reps and good people that help you out and we can, you know, look at things and say, hey, you know, maybe we should try this, it helps out a lot. In school, they learned a lot of the turf science and ag side to that. Nobody ever teaches dirt, and you have to be able to work hard on that dirt because it's not fun. And like I've said with the weather, it changes differently, drastically. You know, when it's cold, it, it, it has a tough time packing, but willing to work because, you know, on an average day, you know, I always love it. You know, what's your average day? I, we don't have one. It depends on weather, number one. Number two is it depends on what the team's going to do the next day. So it depends when we start. Then we get through all our stuff we do during the day, and then post-game, you know, we can usually 45 minutes an hour, and then we start back over going, okay, if we're coming out at 115 for ground balls or early hit, you know, we need to, we know how long mowing takes, how long the prep, how long cleaning, everything else, but you have to be willing to put in, you know, 12, 16 hours, depending on what it was, you know. Day games always are tough to get going, but they're always fun at the end. If you don't have to tarp and you can get out, it is, you know, it's, it's like a day off. You know pretty much and you know but you have to be willing and you, you you figure it out because a lot of them it was they get into it and go man this is a lot of hours yeah it is you know and it's a lot of fun hours but there's also a lot of times you know where you're just pulling your hair out going uh, you know we could maybe dump the tarp and get a 20 minute window before the next one comes in you know it just it, it gets fr- that gets frustrating for some people but they don't understand that you have to protect you know to play and, you know, but I, hard work is 75%, I think. You have to be willing to put in the hours and the time and work your butt off. Visiting with uh, Chris Schlosser, our head groundskeeper on Unwritten Rules and Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer. Make sure you uh, subscribe and like and, and share on the podcast. We appreciate your, your listening. And one of the goals of the podcast, Chris, was to 
not only explain what we do around the ballpark, but to uh, share some of the funny stories uh, and the unusual things that uh, you're right. When you spend this many hours uh, at a place, uh, weird stuff happens uh, from time to time. There's enough routine to this job to get good at it if you stick with it. Uh, but there's enough variety to this job to keep it interesting, too. Um, and under the category of other duties as assigned, take me back to the high school tournament last year when you realize that you're getting ready for a game and there's a kid locked in the bathroom uh, of, the, of the home dugout and you don't get trained for that in uh, sports turf, uh, dirt management uh, and all the things that can, that can go wrong. What was your side of the story of uh, our, our friend getting locked in the bathroom delaying the start of that high school game? The great part was is I was back at the shop. You know, uh, <laughs> the infield was going on, so uh, Chase and Brooks were down here. And I was back and had some stuff back and I was getting ready. I was getting all our stuff ready as we do to prep for the next flip after the game. And then the teams were getting out. So, you know, we had to fog and clean up after the teams go. So I was doing all that. And I go, what in the world is going on? So then I peek my head out and I'm like, everything stopped. And so on. then I'm mad, right? <laughs> Where are, what, what are we waiting on? You know, so then I call because I didn't have my radio. I go, what's going on? And Chase goes, somebody's locked in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> I said, well, don't we have a key? <laughs> Keys don't work. And so then Chase takes, you know, bull by the horns and starts banging the door down, you know, and getting it out. And, you know, those steel doors, you know, they're tough to get through. I mean, we've had a couple of uh, in the old shop back there that will lock on you, and it's tough to get them picked and get them open. And this one was a totally different deadbolt system than just having a door handle so it wasn't coming out. But we were like, you know, then afterwards we start talking about it and we're like, all right, the kid had the lock behind him, right? Because it's a deadbolt lock. So why didn't he just unlock it? And then and Chase goes, we kept telling him to unlock it and he said it wouldn't unlock. So, you know, that was, I'm just glad I just stayed back there. I said, they'll need another chief, chief down there trying to figure things out. I mean, they'll get that door busted down and go from there. But, you know, Jeremy, the coach for Gilbert, you know, he was, he was, he was pretty funny about it afterwards too. How about uh, critters, animals? Some of the best sports center footage is the, skunk or the squirrel or the rabbit that gets out yeah. on the field what what yeah. uh yeah. I, I, you can't have been in this business as long as you have without having some good critter stories uh what, what what's the most memorable thing on the field that didn't belong there we still have something to get on we still have footprints out on a wet warning track right now or there'll be days that you know whatever we when we used to have the cargo containers behind there they used to burrow in there and then, you know, go down to the river and then, oh, we got game. So, you know, if they don't get all the trash picked, I'm just going to come up here. Never really dug on the field, but we're not really sure what it was, whether it was a beaver or whatever else, but he'd come and make his marks. We've had a rabbit get on the field. And in the old days, thank goodness they never got on the field, but we used to have trees back there before the deck and the new video board and everything was out there. And then we had the big grass, you know, hill over there where the fountain area was is literally you had to assign somebody every day because we had to shut off the video board and scoreboard back at the shop area there's always the family of skunks that lived back there for years <laughs> and literally low man out of the totem pole had to go shut that thing off because if not and you had to do it quick because you'd get sprayed back there so there'd be times in the game you'd smell the skunk spray on the field 
you know, they never got on the field, thank goodness, because that would have been enough. But we had the one rabbit the one time sneak through right underneath the gate, and he made it all the way down into the, you know, um, dugout and then turned back around. And, you know, I sent some of the guys out, and they started to shoo it, and it shot right back out where it came from. And, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, but there's been some, and there's been one time, geez, was that? It might have been when we were doing the full field renovation in 02 and we had some areas opened up, you know, to bring, you know, all the sand and everything we were doing in there. And lo and behold, you know, coming down the path, you know, a big buck comes in, looks out on the field while this stuff's going on. And we're like, oh. And he just turns around and walks right back out. And <laughs> then I follow him and he's going all the way down, goes past the brown camps. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, and then we started to see more deer follow the uh, path from Gray's Lake down here and they'll gnaw on the trees or whatever else. And it's just like, you know, they don't know any better. They'll just follow a path. Tell me about your, uh, your goose lights. It's uh, uh, geese were a huge, huge problem. Not that long ago. I remember yeah. walking out to the cub club and there was probably 200 geese on the field and someone had their dog uh, opened the gate and the dog went out and it sounded like a 747 taking off when 200 yeah. geese flapped their wings <laughs> to escape a, a hunting dog all at one time. But you have uh, you've been knocking on wood over there. found yep. a, a good solution. Tell us about the goose light technology. It's uh, Goose Be Gone and uh, a company out of Indiana. And this is all designed for golf course ponds. You know, so, you know, as you know, with the geese back and forth, they'll kind of nest around there. So, they put these up and they, you can put these strobes on the pond to keep them off, but it was to keep them away from the golf greens, you know, in the winter or in the spring and stuff. So it sits at their height and at night, you know, cause it's solar powered is it will 360 beam all the way around and keep going. So if they were to nestle down, they don't like the visual in there and they don't like the lights and they'll scatter. But I really do think also what has helped is as soon as we put up the colored lights, that light up the poles. And I think that has helped as well as because they'll circle and see the lights and don't like that. They don't like that so much. So then they come down and, you know, on normal years, you know, if we had the Christmas lights out, they didn't like those out on the field. And, but, you know, I, I think these do work. And, you know, the only goose we had was in October that landed while Chase was aerating the outfield. And, I was getting the top dresser something hooked up, and then I'm like, what the heck? And he took off, but it's before we had him. But So it sits out there. It's a Goose Be Gone product, and, you know, it goes. We also have a transmitter that will send uh, echoes of different animals and stuff, but we've never had to put that out there um, to scare them away, too, because they don't like that. You know, we've heard everybody's put decoy coyotes or whatever else, but you got to move them around because geese are smart. You know, if they see the same decoy coyote sitting out there for, you know, a few days, uh, you know, they'll come in and swoop in. So I'm hoping this works. It, it seemed to has worked, but I also think having the uh, light poles lit up at night has also helped. I once uh, in Burlington had to drag the infield during a fireworks show. Uh, we, we, it was our 4th of July game. It rained intermittently all day. We had a full house. Uh, we were already in our second rain delay. We're in the seventh inning, and uh, the field needed about a half hour of work after the rain. The fireworks was about 20 minutes long, so we told the managers, uh, you know, we want to shoot the fireworks while we're working on the field. Is that okay? Because these people aren't going to stay much longer. It was already getting to be 10 o'clock or so. Um, 
so that was an, an adventure, uh, and, and I've had some things. What's the craziest thing you've had to do, uh, that, or at least the first thing that comes to mind? Because the list might be long. There's, there's a long <laughs> list. Career. But what, I, are, what are some uh, atypical uh, makeshift things that, that you remember that only minor league baseball could produce? Well, remember when we had Duck Derby and we had the Ducks? in the stands and I forget what it was the promotion was I think at the end of the game everybody got a duck and we were going to put some hula hoops or something they were going to throw the ducks towards the bases right the sponsor and everything else well we have rain towards the end of the game which also was hailed so we're pulling the things and the fans are a little restless and they start chucking all the ducks (laughs) onto the field as we're running the tarp on the field we're getting pelted on this side which is my side coming down the first baseline and getting hit by ducks (laughs) and then by the time I got over here oh well they started so everybody starts throwing ducks on the field and it kept on and on and then literally you know we pull the tarp off and there was a ton of ducks underneath the tarp ton of ducks on the tarp you know, it, they were just kept coming out of stands. And I've, I've seen it where, you know, that some have done, done it with the tennis balls and have it out there and bounce. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get one person that starts chucking a tennis ball in the field and it will happen too. But the duck one was, was by far because the person next to me got drilled right in the back of the head with a little rubber duck. And, you know, at the time you're, you're mad because, you know, you never want to pull and stop a game anyway to pull tarp. But it just hailed for like 30 seconds before the rain started to cut loose and the duck started to fly. And, you know, that was, that was pretty good. But, you know, it's, you know, there's so many different ones, you know, with the tarp you can go into and, you know, people getting drugged, you know, not understanding to let go. We had one girl from Stadium Ops, an intern, man, she got, you know, burnt up pretty, pretty good because she just held on. But it's, it's a tough one, but, you know, but I'd say the duck one is the best. Yeah, the baseball phrase of ducks on the pond, that's a whole, yeah. that's a whole different meaning uh, on that. Let's, uh, let's wrap up with the tarp uh, because that is probably the thing that catches people's attention the most. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. I've been part of more than I care to admit, and you've been part of 100 times more uh, than I have. The tarp has picked me up once off the ground because uh, I didn't let go and a wind gust everybody else did and, and I tried to hang on one time you only do make that mistake uh, once uh, in in your career how would you summarize we've talked about the importance of it but just the task do you have any idea how heavy it is when there's water on it do you know how the, I mean there's just been it is hard work pulling that tarp it is i mean you got to think it's all you know 170 by 170 so you know 32,000 change square feet out there you know the good thing is we have a heavy rain a lot of it will run off you know but it's a lot of times if you got the amount of rain sitting on there where all of a sudden you'll see us get stopped because it, it doesn't matter if you have 20 or 30 guys you're sometimes you just can't get it off you got to let it drain and then go again you know, it, 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 it is tough. And, you know, I, I'm a seasoned veteran and I tore a tendon on my right thumb because I got it locked into a loop and then we started to lose it on the wind and I couldn't get my thumb out and it just, you know, took my thumb. And, you know, it was 10, 10 years ago, whenever it was. But 
it, it is. It, it, it's rolling it out is one thing, you know. It's always, you know, if it's dry, it's great. You know, get it out, get it down. It, in game, and I know a lot of things are going to change coming up with everybody having the netting all the way down is you just can't hop up and over to pull the tarp. And depending on what protocols are this year, is we may have to run from the right field corner because we don't know yet to do it. So we're going to have to add a time, which is kind of nice for us because you'll get in a situation where, and it's happened here with managers that don't pull it. You know, let's see how far we can get. Or, hey, you know, or we'll have, you know, maybe a younger umpire. Hey, can we get three outs? You know, uh, maybe. You know, but if I give you this and I'm on the top step, it's it's go time. And I, I remember it was two years ago when we had the well, Ankeny had ten inches and we had like three inches down here. You know, it was in yeah. June. And um, Mr. Dylan Maples was on the mound, came in for bullpen, and I came out and I said, "We don't have much time, and it's going to start light, then it's going to go heavy fast." I think JJ was was behind the plate, which is good because JJ's a heck of a you know, crew chief. And he goes, well, Dylan, I, I said, well, it just depends if you get, you know, good Dylan or bad Dylan. And all of a sudden it started to pick up and the ball started to start shooting out of his hands. And I go, no, we got to go because it wasn't going to be a quick finish up on the last couple outs we needed. And we luckily we did and we got it down in time. But it, when it starts to pour and come down and it starts to take weight on the back end, I've been there where we haven't gotten to cover the third baseline or corner of third base before because it just there's been too much things. It's it's the in between and you try to be as good as you can, but when it gets into the umpire's hands, it gets dicey then. You know, but anymore, they're getting pretty leery of being out here in, you know, an electrical storm and lightning too. So you can hope you have a few lightning bolts that kind of gets your mind <laughs> thinking and everybody goes, okay, we need to go but you know because you never want to put anybody at safety risk and it's always the tarp crew that is at safety risk when you go out and roll it out and it's coming down but it, it's getting the umpires and they've done a lot better job of say hey you know try to get in and it is tough because you get into that almost a complete game kind of thing where i've been in dozens of situations like that come on come on and you're hoping you get that third out so at least it's a complete if we can't get you know, any dry time or get the tarp back off. At least it's a complete game and everybody goes away a little bit happier. You know, this year, I don't know with all the protocols, it's going to, it's going to be different. You know, how we're going to address the clubhouse, if they're going to want them to sit around or if once tarp goes on, you know, we'll pick it up tomorrow kind of thing or what, but it's also getting down to get it going because, you know, the worst thing is our, your biggest fear is getting that thing rolled out fast enough and getting it pulled before it starts to pour and getting it covered and you know sometimes you win sometimes you lose on that <laughs> well you think about the world series in philadelphia how, how many years ago was that when they tried to tried to force yep. it in and then couldn't throw strikes and once that infield starts to get shiny you don't have much choices you uh, don't if, if you can see your reflection in the infield yep. that's a that's a bad spot well, uh, this was a lot of fun, Chris. Thanks for uh, taking some time to uh, share with the fans uh, uh, some stories and some insight and uh, some details where um, there's a lot of things that uh, we are proud of uh, in this ballpark. Uh, top among the, those things are, are the playing surface. Uh, and everyone, uh, everyone that comes to this ballpark has some sort of positive comment uh, to make. Uh, maybe the funniest was when Michelle Bachman was running for 
president and stopped here and was in the radio booth with me. And she says, the lawn looks so nice here. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that was one of my favorite ones. Yeah, but uh, the sentiment that. was there. If the yeah. terminology yeah. May, may have been That's a little good. bit off. But uh, on behalf of the staff, thanks for uh, uh, the work that you do. Uh, it's a sore surprise for, for our organization. And uh, uh, we're glad we could have some fun and share some stories today. All right. Thanks for having me. It's Chris Schlosser, our head groundskeeper on Today's installment of uh, Unwritten Rules, the Iowa Cubs podcast. I'm Randy Wayhofer, Vice President and Assistant GM with the Iowa Cubs. Be sure you like and subscribe and share uh, and check every Tuesday for a new podcast release uh, wherever you download your podcasts or check it out at iowacubs.com. <laughs>